Matthew chapter 5. We're in a sermon series on the book of Matthew, going through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're in Jesus' most popular teachings right now, called the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're in chapter 5. Today's message is be perfect like your father. We learned about this last week, so a little bit will be review, and then I'll give you something new. So some review and some things new. Be perfect like your heavenly father. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Notes are online and on the app. So good to see you guys here. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and he said... The most important thing we can be in life is a disciple of Christ. I want to make this clear for everybody to hear. If you want to be a part of social justice and change in the world, be a disciple of Jesus Christ and preach to the oppressive powers the word of God. Do not preach to them the sinfulness of this world. Preach to them the word of God. If you hate racism and want to see racism be brought down in this culture, preach the word of God. There's one race, the human race. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And whoever believes in Jesus shall be saved. Made a new race, the God kind of race. If you care about immigrants and those coming to this country, preach to those that are coming here that they would obey the laws of the land and that they would come in humility because the Bible says the meek shall inherit the earth. Teach the word of God as a disciple. Matthew is a disciple and the book is being written by his learning to be a disciple. We're already at the end. If you're thinking through it logically, Matthew's already heard everything we're learning now. He's writing it down after the fact, and he's saying, this is what you've got to know. Jesus brought us together. He would teach us. It doesn't say he was teaching the Caesar of Rome. It wasn't that he was teaching the smart people in the synagogue. It says he went out into the countryside and began to teach his disciples. Now, this is something you can also learn about our church. You heard the announcement. You will hear it until Jesus comes back by God's grace. We're going to love God. We're going to love people. We're going to connect you to the cross. We're going to mentor you with the cross. We're going to send you out with the cross. And by God's grace, we're going to make 100,000 disciples in this city with 50 churches and 500 around the world. We will do that until Jesus comes back. We are not trying to be like everyone else. This is not a competition between me and other churches, but I am sick of what other churches are doing as a whole. Not talking about individuals, not naming the names. I'm just saying, as a whole, I am tired of church. I mean that because I know pastors. I know what they do, and I determine by God's grace, all by his grace and love, smile, to do this different. You've heard the bands, you've heard the preaching, you know we could be growing faster than what we have grown, but we do it purposely because we grow disciples. We are not multiplying rats and mice here, we're growing elephants. You can grow mats, mice and rats quickly, and they'll do nothing to a culture except make it worse. We're not here to be like the pastors who have already lost their churches because they were kissing on women or taking money or being dishonest. We will build a foundation to give the Sears Tower a run for its money. We are going to build a foundation where the church can be proud of its leadership 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now. And we'll do it on disciples. 
That means it requires you to want to do this. If you don't want to do this, we'll give you three different brochures of churches we love, churches we love, not the ones we're upset with, churches we love, that you can go do something else. We'll just tell you about them. We're not here to argue with it. We're not here to, to change it. Church is here to change you. You can change the church if you become a part of the church, but it doesn't start from the outside. You change it and make it something you want it to be. The disciples were changed and eventually changed the way things were done. Jesus used them, but it wasn't their agenda. It was his. We're going by God's agenda here, and I thank God that I'm not alone. I'm one of many elders. With elders and deacons, we serve the Lord here with fear and trembling. That's why personally, nothing against those who do, want to be clear, nothing against midweek services and all these different things, but you only hear me once a week for an hour. Everything else is what? Discipleship, through the life groups, through the one-on-one. We are one of the only churches that offer one-on-one discipleship for every single person. Every person. You get one-on-one discipleship. That is beautiful. I was listening, or rather reading, one of my friend's uh, end-of-the-year posts, and they were, you know, humbly bragging, humble brag about their church. We kind of do that too. You know, people post those things. And they have over 2,000 members or people attending, a few years old. Good for them. Only 30% of their church, 37 I think to be exact, participates in the actual servitude of the church. That would be the worst day of my life. Do you understand that? If only four out of 10 of you actually did what I was talking about, that would be the worst day of my life. But you know what? That was a home run for them because the average of these churches is only about 20%. Ours is around 80%. We just did our discipleship numbers for February. We have 184 disciples, almost 300 people attending two different services, over 300 of you attending our 12 different, 11 different life groups. God is doing it, and he's doing it his way. I'm not here to be the Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Jesus is still Jesus. I'm still sitting down listening to the master. Is there anybody else that wants to sit down and be taught what he has to say? Can I hear an amen? amen? Amen. So whatever we learn now, it's what he said. It's not my fault. It's, it's his fault if we're putting blame on it. But it's not really something to be upset about. It's something to be excited about. In our culture, they don't want to hear the teachings of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, these are the most popular teachings we're going to read. Many of you have heard them, even if you haven't been in church for a while. You're going to be like, oh, I know this one. Oh, I've heard that one before. Oh, I remember that one. Well, here's the thing. We're not living it like we ought to. So I wanted to pause here, make sure we're all on the same page, and let's do what Matthew did. That's, that's all we have to do. We don't have to go beyond and be what somebody would say a fanatic. We don't have to be hyper-spiritual and weird. All we have to do is be disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, if that makes us weird to the culture, so be it. Now, if that gets us persecuted, so be it. But that is not my uh, goal here, is to be weird or to put other people down or to uh, be the one that's always talking about those, going, those people going to hell. That's not my intention. My intention is to be a disciple of Christ. Does anybody want to join me on the journey of following Jesus? Amen. Let's go to the first passage. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. He starts the teachings, and then I'll give you this illustration that God gave me after last week. These are called the Beatitudes. It's a Latin word that means the attitudes of blessing. Blessings also come with blissfulness and happiness, not based on happenstance, but serving Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
So understand this. When we come to Jesus, we do not come and say, God, how much does salvation cost? And he goes, well, it costs $100. How much do you have? And then we go, well, I only got $10. Can you get me the other 90? And God's like, yeah, we're good like that. Salvation is not you do a little and God does a little. Salvation is you coming to Jesus going, I'm broke. And then you're not just broke, you're poor, okay? And then you're not just poor, you're what? You're poor. All right, you come to Jesus, Poe, Poe. I'm saying it. It's funny if you laugh, but I'm going to say whether you do or you don't. You come to Jesus, Poe. But here's the thing: after you come to Jesus, you Poe, no mo. See, when you come to the low, you Poe, no mo. It's not Lord, it's low. When you come to the low, you Poe, no mo. Now, it sounds silly, and I'm being a little bit facetious in that, but the point is really clear, isn't it? We don't come to God offering good works to be saved. We do not come to him going, okay, God, I'll put some reading of the Bible, some prayer on this, and then what, you're going to save me? No, we come to Jesus poor. Jesus also said it like this, we come to him sick. He even said to the Jewish people, you say you don't need a doctor, so that means you don't need me. I'm going to the publican, the prostitute, the one that says they're sick, because they say they need a doctor. So in other words, God doesn't save the religious. He saves the wretched. Put that on Facebook. He doesn't save the religious. He saves the wretched. But now I want to show you something as, as a preacher's trick, a device to learn this passage, chapter 5, which we'll be reading all in its entirety today by God's grace. I did it in first service. I can do it today. I'm going to try really hard. And hopefully you will be able to get out of here by 3. Is that okay? Is everybody good until 3? Let's just do 2.30. Okay, I'm going to make it easy on you. Now go to Matthew 5.48, the last verse of chapter 5. Hopefully this device will help you. Go all the way down, sir. All the way down to the bottom. Thank you. I want to help you to see everything you're going to learn today in a way that will be easy to remember. The first thing that we learn is that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we're going to learn, be perfect, therefore, as who is perfect? As your heavenly Father is perfect. Now do you understand the standard? Be perfect. So all of us here who have used the excuse, nobody's perfect, I'm doing my best, God should just take what I give him, you're not going to heaven with that attitude. You're not. That is not a Christian attitude. That is not the teachings of Christ. You do your best, I'll do the rest, and then we'll figure it out when you get up here. Or another way of saying it is that you do more, and then you get to be more. You do more perfect things, you get to be more perfect. You do more right things, you get to be righteous. No, because what happens when you try to do good works, do good works, do good works, do, do, do? You have a bunch of do-do, filthy rags. Jesus did not say, do perfect. He said, be perfect. My son does not do the commands I give in my house until he be my son first. You have to be before you do. Who be you? Who be you? Well, I'm imperfect. Then you're not in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're perfect. Go back. You, you, you don't have to scroll, but just go back in your mind because I'm going to show it to you in just a moment, but I want you to take it from the word before you take it from my illustration. When he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, what did he say they get? What did they get? Blessed are the poor in, poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. And so what that means is kingdom of heaven riches is kingdom of heaven righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, quickly please. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Kingdom of heaven riches is kingdom of heaven righteousness. It is not yours, but it is given to you. You didn't earn it, but you have a lot of it. I want you to see it up here. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be at peace with God. Come back to God because God made him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Christ we might be made what? The righteousness of God. What are we in Christ? The righteousness of God. See, I be righteous because he is righteous. I come into righteousness. It is a foreign righteousness. It is not germane to me. I do not own that righteousness. It is the imputation of Christ that gives me righteousness. See, how I go from being poe to poe no more in righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of God's sake, is when Christ comes in me, he gives me all the right things I need. Ephesians 2.10, please, quickly. What comes first, be or do? Be. Who you be determines what you do. This also is with your sinning. You're not sinning to become a sinner. You're sinning because you are a sinner. You were born that. You be that. You be that until you be born again, perfect, like your heavenly father is perfect. Now, remember the standard. He didn't say be perfect like your next door neighbor is. He said be perfect. Like your heavenly father is perfect. Those who want to know the Greek word for perfect, teleos, complete, lacking, nothing. Morally, as father is moral, you are moral. Peter, in the Old Testament, quoting from the Old Testament, said, be holy for I am holy. Doesn't get any more plain than that, does it? Be, be. How do I be? By being born again. I can never do it on my own. Look at what it says here. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. When I am recreated, born again, am I born again perfect or imperfect? Do I have to be born again, 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 and again? No, I am born again into the righteousness of God. I am born again perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. I am created as God's handiwork. Is he still whittling on me? Is Jesus like one of those uh, renovators that you have as, as a friend, and every time you go over, they renovate in their house, and they've been renovating for 10 years or five years? Is Jesus like one of those mechanics you know that always got broke down cars in their house, in their yard, in front of their house? No, you are now God's workmanship. You are now perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You are now holy. You are now chosen. Why? Which God prepared for you to do. So, uh, excuse me, God, you are God's hand. You were created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, thank you, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's go to the perfection sandwich, please. Starts off with being poor, but now we get the riches of heaven. Now I can be all that God wants me to be. So after last week's sermon... I got a little illustration here. You all ready for the perfection sandwich? Anybody hungry? It's going to make you more hungry, right? Here it is. What's the top bun? Come to Jesus poor. Admit you don't have nothing to give when it comes to righteousness' sake. But just as much as you confessed you were a sinner to be saved, now confess you're the righteousness of Christ and have the riches of heaven since being saved. Don't walk around with a sinner mentality. Walk around with a saint mentality. You're not a sinner and a saint. You're not a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde. You're either one or the other, baby. So if you were poor and now you came to Christ, you're poor no more. You're the righteousness of God. You have righteousness to give at every situation you need it. 
Every time you face a temptation, you have a surplus of righteousness to overcome the temptation. That's why he's going to teach you to pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. There will never be a sin or a temptation you face where you'll be broken. The kingdom won't be able to live perfectly. As a matter of fact, when we sin, that's why we are to repent as Christians because perfection was the goal. Now, right here, don't misunderstand me. People think I'm talking about being sinless. They say, Pastor, since being a Christian, are you sinless? No. What do I tell them? I have sinned less. My perfection was not based on my deeds. Therefore, it's not kept by my deeds. It's kept by my faith in Jesus Christ. And so when I sin as a Christian, I can be forgiven and still remain in a perfect state. Is my son my perfect son? If I was to say the command, son, be perfect as your father is perfect, isn't he that right now in DNA? If we were to go to Maury Povich and take the test, wouldn't DNA say, Joe, you are the father? But does he always do perfect? No, but he be perfect as my son. You be perfect in Christ. Not your perfection, Christ's perfection. You got it. Not your riches, but Christ's riches. Now you can do all this. I've even had some Christians tell me, well, you're not always going to be able to love your neighbor. That's a lie. The Bible says you can always love your neighbor. Why? Because you're rich in Christ now. You have all the kingdom blessings you need to live for Christ. I've had people tell me, oh, it's going to be impossible to always forgive. Sometimes you're going to be a little bitter in life. No. Bible says you can forgive your enemy every single time and never to hold on to bitterness. You can get better instead of being bitter. All of the things he's telling you to do, commanding you to do, he's expecting you now to do because the first verse of this chapter said, I knew you couldn't do it by yourself to begin with. So if anyone was to come to me and say, Pastor, I've tried it and it hasn't worked, I would say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Because what didn't you... What, what did you come to God's righteousness bank account for in the kingdom? And he said, I don't have it for you. What temptation did you face? And he goes, well, we'll we're a little short on purity right now. You got to come back later. Someone else took it all out the bank. There's no purity in here. But how many know every time you need purity, you can make a withdrawal? How many know every time you need mercy, you can make a withdrawal? Why? Because you came poor. Now you're poor no more. That's why you can be perfect. Because Christ made you perfect. Now can you do perfect? You can do perfect. And when you sin and repent, forgiveness is given to you when you do what? Admit you could have done perfect but didn't do perfect. If you came to God and go, God, well, I just, I couldn't help myself. I fell into sin. You know, somehow BigHooters.com got on my internet, and I don't know how. And then somehow I ended up sinning against myself, and then somehow I just drank till I got drunk. Oh, it just happened, and I don't know how. There's no forgiveness transferred there. There is no forgiveness. Forgiveness is transferred through repentance. Repentance, metanoia, is changing of mind, changing of direction. You have to say, I know I went in that wrong direction. Now I know I never want to go in that direction. I'll dare to say it like this. You'll never be forgiven of one sin unless you determine never to want to sin that sin again. That means if I'm asking the Lord today for forgiveness for pornography, God will not forgive it unless in my heart I intend to never do it again. Forgiveness is not a license to keep on sinning. Forgiveness is for the person on the path of righteousness to remain in a perfect state of purity and holiness. In other words, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. 
Think of walking a tightrope as the walk of holiness. Yes, it's tight, but it's right. Can I hear an amen? It's tight, but it's right. And there below the tightrope, you have a net. That's the grace of God. That's forgiveness. If God sees you jumping on the tightrope like it's a diving board and you keep falling into the net like you're trying to do some tricks, like it's a trampoline, he's going to say, you're not serious about crossing over. But those of us who are crossing over and sin, either out of immaturity, lack of knowledge, those kinds of things, God gladly forgives us, pours out his mercy 70 times 7. No problem, son. But if in our hearts we're intending to do that same thing again, just to be forgiven, to do it again, to be in this little, you know, broken record, God, forgive me. I shouldn't have did that. But, Lord, it feels so good, and I like it when I do it. Oh, I feel guilty now. Lord, forgive That is not the path of holiness. That's a broken record. That's insanity. The Bible says that we are to walk on the path of holiness. He says in Psalm chapter 23, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He doesn't lead us on a broken record for his namesake. He leads us on paths of righteousness. So you should be, if you call yourself a Christian, you should be able to look at a point in your life where you have begun to sin less. May not be sinless, but you have sinned less. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. And that's why there's a, a bun up there of what we do to come to Christ, and then a bun down here of who we are in Christ, and then the meat, how we live for Christ, is possible because that is what God gives us as our substance. And it's going to end in Matthew chapter 7 saying, those who hear these teachings and put them into practice is like a wise person who built their house on a rock. Is there anyone here building a house on a foundation of a rock that you purposely put cracks in so that it can fall apart? How many know to your best of your ability you want that foundation perfectly laid? And that's what God is asking you. Be perfect. Not do perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. As you be, you can do. Somebody say, I am who he said I am. And I can do what he said I can do. Amen. That's the first review. You ready for the second review? Amen. Let's go back and read the things we read last week. And Lord willing, I'll get through all of chapter 5 today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 3. We learned about coming to God and our poverty and God making us rich. Praise God for that. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Here's a great illustration of what we just learned. Will pain come into your life? Yes. Will you feel like quitting at times? Yes. Will you come to me with tears in your eyes saying, I tried and it didn't work? No. Because you're going to go to Jesus first and you're going to find comfort. If you have not found comfort, either through the repentance, the tears you've cried through repentance of sin, or comfort in the hurts or the losses of this life, you are not doing it right. I'm not saying that to put you down. I'm just saying when you come to God broken, you leave healed. It may not happen when you want it to, but be faithful and God will do it. He dries the eyes of our tears. He'll comfort you as he's comforted many others. How many of you have gone through great pain in life, have wept, and God has comforted you? Can I hear an amen? Amen. Many of you have testified about that here. The next thing the Bible says in verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. I could teach my children by every time they mess up, throwing them across the room, or I could teach them by meekness and being kind to them and loving to them, though at times needing to discipline, but doing it out of love. God is expecting us to be the same way. We are not to force our will on others. We are to be humble. We are to be meek, which is having strength under control. But notice what he puts in there, which is sedition to the Roman Empire during this time. When we are that, we actually inherit the whole earth. 
So when you look at me taking the persecution of this world, which we'll get to in just a moment, I may look like a dunce compared to some of these other ministries or a dunce compared to Bill Maher or popular figures on the radio or TV. But listen, those who are not serving Christ will not get the earth. I will receive the earth. The Bible says we will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. You do not just go to heaven as a disembodied spirit and remain there forever. You are only there until Christ comes back to earth to rule and reign for a thousand years. We will rule over the people here. The Bible says the sons and daughters of God will rule over them. The kingdom of God will come among men. We will have resurrected bodies and the power of the spirit just like Jesus did after his resurrection. We'll be like the Avengers. In other words, make that connection there. We won't be able to die. We can walk through walls, but we will eat. We will enjoy fellowship, and for a thousand years, we will rule over them. The names of our apostles will be upon the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ will rule and reign. You will be with him there. If Bill Gates is not saved, Bill Gates will not rule and reign. Bill Gates will be in charge of the Wi-Fi. He'll be the guy doing the, doing the, running the lines or doing something. Do you understand? A certain amount... Hundreds of millions will die on Armageddon. Those who remain will be the servants to the kingdom of God. We'll be kind to them and loving. Don't think of Kutakinte back in the transatlantic slave trade. God forbid. That's not how it is. But the Bible literally says you occupy nations. They will be your servants and they will work in your fields. They will take care of the kingdom while we rule over it. That is truth. Read the book of Isaiah if you want more on that. Can I hear an amen? The meek will inherit the earth. Hallelujah. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The determination of whether or not you get righteousness, Jesus is telling us, is not based on him. He's already determined he wants you righteous in your family, righteous in your marriage, righteous on your job, righteous when you look at the internet, righteous when you pastor a church. He's already determined that. But what now determines whether or not you get that is whether or not you hunger for it. Just as I've given the example before, if you leave out of here hungry for McDonald's and don't wait to get home and make something better, you're going to give yourself a bunch of junk food. And then when you show up at home, no matter how good the meal is, like mama's lasagna, you're not going to have any room for it because you filled yourself with the junk of the world, the junk of junk food. And it's the same thing. If you are always filling yourself with sin and sin, you will have no room in that heart of yours for righteousness. But the same is true on the other side. You fill your heart with righteousness. I fill my heart with right behavior towards my wife. An adulterous woman or an affair will never be a possibility because I have no room for it. If I have 100% of my fulfillment as a sexual man fulfilled in my wife, how much do I have left to give to another woman? Zero. If my heart is filled with Jesus 100%, how much do I have left to give the devil? You only have 100%. Give God all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And do what is right in all of those places. Hunger for it. Thirst for it. You have as much righteousness as you want right now in your life. You may not be able to control your paycheck. You may not be able to control uh, things going on with your health or going on in the government. I get that. But morally speaking, you have as much righteousness as you're hungry for. And your righteousness, your righteousness is an indication of your hunger. How many hunger and thirst for righteousness? Amen. Keep hungry. Stay hungry. The next thing the Bible says is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
This is important to people like myself who are truth tellers, love the word of God. We have to always remember to be kind, to be forgiving, to do to them as we would want done to us. That's going to come up in these passages as well. So mercy is a gift we've all received. No one came to Jesus deserving salvation. Everyone came to Jesus deserving hell. So now how much more should you give mercy to people? even though they don't deserve it. That's a lot of times the people that, that make the confusion when I pray for them or counsel them, they go, but my dad did molest me. And I'm like, yes, we're pressing charges. We're doing everything we can to help you. If, if you've been abused, we're getting you out of that situation. That's what we do as a church. We're not ashamed to call the police. We believe justice can be served in this life. But then when I say forgive that person, they're thinking I'm saying, let it go. Think about it like it's no big deal. Because most people think of asking forgiveness like that. Like it's just you're basically asking somebody to overlook it and move on. That's never true forgiveness. That might be what we do to be polite to each other. You know, you, you get onto the train, you step on somebody's shoe, you know, forgive me, I'm sorry. You know, you're just basically saying, just overlook it, let's just move on. But you face a real situation in life, you're like, that doesn't deserve that treatment. Well, the point is that's not real forgiveness. Niceanity is not Christianity. Just walking around being nice, saying, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. That's not what we talk about when we're saying forgiveness. When I say forgive them, when I say forgive even the worst of society, what I'm saying is you're praying for their salvation because you know they're going to hell without Christ, period. That's fact. We're not saying anything other than that, but what we are saying on top of that, we're not saying anything other than that determining with what they did and what they deserve, but on top of that we're saying, but I'm not going to hell with them. Because if I don't forgive them of their sin, no matter how wicked it is against me, God will not forgive me of the sins that I have against him, which are more wicked and more in number. Let me give you the example. We're going to get to it later on here. But let me give this example so everybody gets it. It is incomparable what Hitler has done to the human race to what you have done to God. You're much worse. I'm going to say it again. It is incomparable to compare yourself to what you've done against God to what Hitler did against humanity. You're much worse. I'm much worse. Let me explain. When Hitler sinned against other human beings, he was sinning against people that were already sinful, on their own, could have went to hell, even if they lived good moral lives. Remember, we're not saved by being good. We're saved by Christ. And whatever he did to them, was done out of his own ignorance, done out of his own selfishness, and lasted as long as a life can last. If he took away a life at 30, he took away 30 years of their life, and then if they lived another 70 years, so uh, another 40 years, they could have if he wouldn't have killed them. That would be a total of 70 years he sinned against them. If you get my point, he takes away that 30 years, and they don't get to live the 40. And then he does this out of his own selfishness, out of his own greed. Can we turn back on that light, please? Listen to me. Our sin against God is an eternal sin, one. God is an eternal being. And the moment you tell a lie, the moment you take something that doesn't belong to you, the moment you did one sin, you sinned against a God of eternal worth, of eternal value, and you, not that light, the light that's on the side there, please. Please turn that one off. Thank you against an eternal value, and you know what you did. You know what you did. Listen to this. Adam and Eve is not an accident. And when you sin, you're not an accident either. 
So I want you to get the illustration. Jesus said it like this. No matter what the worst of all people have ever done to you, it's like them owing you $5. But what you have done to God is like you owing him a trillion dollars. And then he said in the parable, you go and find that joker who owes you $5 and beat him up and say, I can't forgive you until you pay me every one of those $5. And God says, you wretched person, I'm going to throw you in hell because you've owed me a trillion dollars. That's what Jesus taught us about forgiveness. That's in the next couple of chapters. But let me just summarize it how Jesus did here. Everybody here better be merciful because you have been shown mercy. If you want mercy now, moving forward, be merciful. Because I'll tell you what, if the devil can't stop you from going to heaven, he'll try to make you bitter now. If he can't stop you from choosing Christ, he'll try to make you bitter so that you lose all that God has for you and possibly even go to hell. So make sure you forgive. And if that offends you, listen to me. If my illustration offends you, you're offended by Jesus' illustration. I just used a name we all know. But once again, did you think you added something to salvation? See, you might not have been poor in spirit when you came to Christ. You might have came to Christ thinking you were getting an optional upgrade in life. So if my illustration offended you, you didn't come to Jesus poor. I came to Jesus as the worst of all sinners. That's what Paul said of himself. I am the worst of all sinners. Why has God been so gracious to me? So that in the worst of all sinners, God could show that his mercy abounds. Where sin abounds, grace does abound that much more. Now, will Hitler be held accountable for all of his sins and all the sins that people have done against you? Absolutely. Do I believe there's different uh, grades of punishment? Absolutely. Just as there will be different grades of reward in heaven. We're all going to the same heaven based on Christ's righteousness when we are saved, but our rewards will be different based on our works. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I just stopped where I feel the Lord tell me to stop. Did you enjoy that little bit? Oh, by the way, I have over 25 messages on these three chapters alone that are linked in the introduction because I've preached them verse by verse. So uh, there was another time I just went through the Sermon on the Mount. I had an entire sermon just on mercy, an entire sermon just on pure in heart, etc. So if you want to hear more about that, you can go to the notes. Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You cannot see God unless you're pure in heart. Jesus is very clear about that. So how do you become pure in heart when your heart is dirty? Well, I'm going to clean my heart, but you got tar on your hands. How are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to get my heart a transplant, a heart transplant. You're going to do that on yourself? Where are you going to get the other heart from? Where does the pure in heart come from? Jesus. Jesus said in Ezekiel, I'll give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you. That's what happens when you're born again. That's why we can see God in our lives now. And then one day we're going to see him face to face. And the illustration that I like to use is if you put uh, your camera next to a mirror. Have you ever done that? Seen what happens? Do it when you go home. Put your camera on the mirror. It reflects back. And then after it gets in that reflection, it reflects back again. And then it reflects back again. And you will see a picture of the end infinite in that reflection going back and forth, back and forth. The Bible says we go from glory to glory while we see him. We are transformed to be like him, and it continues on for all of eternity. That's what it's like to be a Christian, not going from glory to glory to glory, from glory to sin to glory. It goes from glory to glory to glory. Amen? So the Bible teaches us the pure in heart see God. How do I become pure in heart? By being born again. Now after I'm born again, what should I do? Keep my heart pure. 
So my heart's been purified at being born again. There it is. I don't start like at 1% purity and then all throughout Christianity I become more and more pure. And then when I die, thank you, Jesus, now I'm finally pure. Death is not your Savior. Christ is. When you're born again, 100% purity. But what is my job to do when I sin? Repent so that my default position of purity remains. I give you a, a pure glass of drinking water. A fly gets in it. Something bad gets in it. You're going to purify that thing. If you don't like what's in there, you're going to throw it out. Let's use another example. If all you have is a bathtub of drinking water and something gets in it, you're not going to throw it all out. You're going to purify it. God doesn't throw you out when you sin. He purifies you. Amen? To what state? Your original born-again state. The born-again state is how we remain. We come into the world as sinners. We're born-again saints. Remain as a saint, and you'll see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. As we talked about this last week, we are to make peace in the world, not just in our everyday life, but we are to make peace everywhere we go on the big picture life. So like, yes, I'm supposed to make peace with my family, community, somebody I'm in traffic with, but I'm also supposed to pray for the peace of Syria and be a part of that process. The church is supposed to heal the Muslim nations. They'll either do it now through the gospel or later through the boot of Jesus. Bible says he's going to stomp on them as the wine press of God's wrath is poured out. The blood of 200 million people on the day of Armageddon will stack as high as a horse's head and run for over 100 miles. Listen to me, my Muslim. Don't wait for that day. Bow your knee now. Amen. Make peace with God now. Assalamu alaikum. Right? Find peace in Christ now. All religions, find your peace in God before he makes peace by crushing you. And breaking you. The Bible says this. This is another illustration. People are like, where do you get this crazy talk, Joe? I get it from the Bible. This is what the Bible says. Fall upon the rock and be broken. Or the rock will fall upon you and you'll be broken into pieces. Either way, you're getting broken. Do you want to be broken and then be healed and restored and recovered? Or do you want to be blown away to smithereens? Either way, the rock is doing breaking right now. Choose to be broken. So that Christ can make you heal. That goes back to the poor in spirit thing. Does everybody get the sandwich? You're saying, I get it, Pastor, but I just want to make sure you live it. How many want to live it as well? Amen. Make peace in your everyday life and in the big life that we live in. Now, lastly, we get a double blessing for our last beatitude. There's eight beatitudes. Attitudes of blessing. Attitude of blessing. Blessing and blessing are very similar. The Bible talks about happiness as well. Happiness is another word for, for, for blessing and blissfulness. And it's not happenstance. It's based on what happened to you, Christ. Amen? I'm happy because of what God's doing for me and in me, not what's going on out here. This is a double blessing. Now, you might think the double blessing is about getting a new house, a new car, and everybody liking you. No, the double blessing has to do with you being persecuted and hated. Listen to the beatitude that has two blessings, the only one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now I want you to understand this. It's not about being a jerk. It's about being a prophet. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, once the Holy Spirit came on us, we all become living prophets. We are now all a part of a living pro uh, priesthood. We are all now speaking the word. What does modern day persecution look like? It looks like them taking your words out of context and saying evil about you. 
Well, pastor, we've heard you say that homosexuals can't inherit the kingdom of God. Bible teaches that. Galatians 5, sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Homosexuality is sexually immoral. What will they say back to me? You hate all homosexuals. You don't love them. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You're falsely saying all kinds of evil against me. Do you get it? They'll say it about you too. What, you don't love your sister? Your sister is lesbian. She didn't choose that. That's just who she is. You don't love her. Listen to me, mom. I love her. Will they believe you? No. Bible says prophets had different demeanors, different ways of speaking. Sometimes people think because I'm a loud Italian, oh, man, he's just so loud. I have whispered it to people. Whispered it. You're going to hell. I love you, but you're going to hell. You don't love me. I have told you I love you. Then this is the, the tricky way they'll say, if you love me, you'll love everything about me. Well, that's a crazy world to live in. Do you love everything about me? And part of me is not loving what you do. Do you guys get the hypocrisy in that? They say they love everybody until they meet a Christian. We don't love those guys. Now you know why we got fed to lions. Because they love everybody until someone says, we're right and you're wrong. And they say, well, we love everybody except those guys. Go to Romans chapter 12, please. I want to show you that the Bible says. I want to make it very clear. Put it on Facebook. Make a bumper sticker. Wear it as a shirt. I love sinners, but I hate sin. Do I love Muslims? Yes, but I hate Islam. Do I love Roman Catholics? Yes, but I hate Roman Catholicism. Do I love Mormons? Yes, but I hate Mormonism. Do I love communists? Yes, but I hate communism. Do I love abortionists and those who have abortions? Yes, but I hate abortion. Can I say it in a sentence for you? I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. God so loved the world, the people of the world, that he died on the cross, right? He didn't love the wickedness. He loved the people. Go to Romans chapter 12, please. I know that you're getting things out of this. I just want to make sure we all live it, amen? We all have to live it. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Oh, excuse me, verse 9, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Somebody say, don't be fake. You see, in telling people the truth, sometimes they want us to be fake. I can't lie to you. This is what I believe. I'm not going to hide it from you. I'm also not going to blare it in your face every day. If we're at the job and it's not appropriate, I get it. But I'm not going to hide what I believe from you. This is what I believe. That's why I think the Muslims are just a joke in America. When they side with the left and the Democrats, they are lying to the Democrats. You see Linda Sassor marching with the women. Linda Sassor knows in her religion she has no rights. She knows that women are given as child brides, okay? Saudi Arabia didn't even, which is the home of Mecca, didn't even allow women to drive until last year. They use the left, and they use the Latinos for their, see, most Latinos aren't pro-homosexual. Most Latinos don't believe in abortion being a right that everybody should do even up to, to birth. You guys know where you came from, a lot, a lot of my gente here. They use you, Right? But the thing is, don't be used. Don't be a useful idiot for politicians who don't care about you. And I know it can be on both sides, but it seems to be right now on the side of Democrats the most because they're forwarding purposely agendas that are against you. Listen to me. I would rather have, I would rather have a wall than kill babies at the womb. 
You don't like a wall, that's fine. Vote for anybody else you want. But I'm just going to ask you, would you rather a wall or would you rather uh, 800,000 children dying in the womb every year? Let's just use common sense. You don't like the wall, then vote for an independent that has a better idea. I, I don't care, but listen to me. What I do care about is when we start supporting people that are killing children so that we can get a free green card or so that I can get free college, because I would like that too, by the way, or health care. I would like it free as well. But here's the point. I'm not trading my morality for political things. It's political immigration. It's political. People have been arguing about it for years. It's political about health care. We know what political things are. Political things are where you could get even people of the same party in the same room they don't agree over. But do we agree that sin is sin? Like literal sin is sin. Like killing a baby is sin. Amen. So what does the Bible tell us to do? Look at it. I love all my hente. Don't tell me I don't see. Now they're going to falsely say all kinds of evil against me. He doesn't love immigrants. I love immigrants. I love every single one of them. Amen. I just hate the party that uses immigrants to kill children. Give me a party that wants immigration without killing children, and I'll vote for it. I promise. Amen. Okay. Well, praise God for that. I'm not going to be fake, though. At least you can say, I, lo- I know my pastor's not fake. Love must be sincere. Amen? That's why I was telling you that. I love you enough to tell you about politics in the church. Well, most pastors' genes are so tight, they don't have their cojones working anymore. Okay? At least you got some pastor with some cojones. Pray for me. Amen? Okay, because people want to kick me there sometimes, but that's all right, because at least I have them. Praise God. You know I'm telling the truth. We live in a liberal city. I go down south, they'll shout me down. You know, I, I was just in Florida and Louisiana. Oh, my gosh, man, you can't preach it enough there. They'll get too excited. They'll be running all, all over the church. You, it's all Trump country over there. But here's my point. I'm not preaching politics. I'm preaching just love must be sincere. Let's not be fake. Let's not be like the Muslims who are fake when they side with demonic leadership to get their free stuff just to see a nation tear down. Love must be sincere. Here it is. Put it on a T-shirt. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Amen. Amen. So that's how we preach here. What did Jonah do? Jonah went to a nation, preached a bit sarcastically, didn't really want to be there. He was just tired of being in whale puke. He's like, hey, you guys got to repent or God's going to destroy you, which I really wish he would. But anyways, just repent. They listened to him. Jeremiah preaches, tears streaming down his face. Guys, listen, you are going to perish. Children are going to be eaten by their parents in famines. You know what they did? They threw them in a pit. Don't let people lie to you and say the problem's with you. If it is, deal with it. But I'm talking in the most part, it's not. They just don't want to hear it. Because even when Jonah was being sarcastic, he had a nation repent because the truth is the truth. If you were looking for downtown and you were new to the city and you're driving west on Fullerton and you stop and the first guy you see comes up and he's like, hey, what's going on? And you're like, oh, man, I'm talking to the town drunk here, whatever, neighborhood drunk. Well, just ask him anyway. Dude, do you know where the lake is? Do you know where downtown is? And he's like, yeah, it's that way. And he points east. Is he at least right? Yes, I even say to people here, even if you don't know how to preach yet, even if you don't know how to be the nicest person, even if you don't have it all worked out, can you at least tell people which way is heaven? Point them in that that direction. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We'll work out the rest later. Amen. Praise God. Go to life group. Go to the discipleship. And I, I haven't even reviewed everything I 
talked about last week. I have 12 minutes to review the rest of the stuff and read the whole thing. Okay, let's try real fast. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, read this together with me, please. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are supposed to have good deeds. You just can't say, well, nobody's perfect anymore. Remember, we're supposed to be perfect because our Heavenly Father is perfect. You can't say, I can't do perfect because he made you perfect to do perfect. So now we're supposed to actually have some perfect works for people to look at and glorify God in heaven. How many since becoming a Christian have been perfect at not fighting? I haven't gotten to fight since 95. I've been perfect at that. Praise God. How many have been perfect at not cursing since you've been saved? few of you. Come on, I haven't cursed since that time. How many of you have been perfect at not getting drunk since you've gotten saved? Amen. Those who are not raising their hands, look out for these people. They get drunk. They fight. Okay, look at these crazy folks. They're crazy up in here. Welcome to a real church, right? So, so guess what? I'm perfect at not getting drunk. I'm perfect at, at not stealing. How many of you have stopped stealing since you've been saved right, at some point? Uh, perfect at not cursing. How many know now I can get perfect at not lusting? How many know I can do that? Now, my salvation is not dependent upon that, but I should be sinning less. I should have that work of perfection show up in my character. And so any pastor or any Christian that says, don't, don't look at me, just look at Jesus, don't follow me, just follow Jesus, take their advice and then stop hanging out with them or going to their church. Because we should be able to say like Paul, follow me, not for my sake, but follow me as I what? Follow Christ. So I should say to my wife, honey, follow me, so follow Christ. Children, follow me, so follow Christ. Church, follow me, so follow Christ. You should be able to do the same thing with your coworker. Follow me, as so I follow Christ, etc. Let your good deeds shine. Salt and light. The Bible says if you lose your saltiness, you're good for nothing. That's Jesus talking. You're good for nothing. Another uh, gospel says, but to be thrown in the dunghill. Think about that. You are thrown in the poopy pile. That's Jesus talking. Can you imagine that? Jesus says, you're good for nothing except to be thrown where the toilet stuff goes. Now, this is different than that purple dinosaur that used to dance around singing songs, right? Jesus is not your purple dinosaur. Jesus is not Barney. Jesus loves you. 40% of scholars said, I just heard it the other day, 40% of Jesus' teachings were warnings. He talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Not because he didn't love us, but because he loved us. So here's the idea. Imagine I'm boiling up crawfish. I got a 40-pound, 40-gallon, you know, um, what do you call that thing? Pot. There we go. I talk for a living. I can do this. Pots are where you put water and crawfish. You have 40 gallons of it. Imagine that. You're boiling up seafood, okay? Crawfish, just little seafood. If I put in a pinch of salt, is that good for anything? It's good for nothing. Why? Because there's more water than there is salt. But if I put in what you got to put in, about a cup of salt, and then a cup of cayenne pepper, you know, things like that. That's good for something. Let's say you're making arroz con candules. Do you take a little bit of salsón and just go like that? I watched a, a, a Puerto Rican mama do it. Is, it. is this how you do it, like that guy? No, you don't. You make it rain, Goya, salsón, all those spices up in there. But if you just put a little, 
good for nothing. And then what's the same idea? If you put a lamp under a bowl, good for nothing. So what are we supposed to be in the world? Salt, preserving. We are to be in the world flavor. We are to be in a world of darkness, light. We are to be guidance in Jesus' name. Amen? Other place, Jesus said he's the light of the world and he's made us lights of the world. Verse 17, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen by any means will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You are to both practice and preach. You are to practice and teach. Does everybody get that as well? You can't just go, well, nobody's perfect. I'm not going to teach it. I can't live it. No, you're to live it and you're to teach it. Never get away from those things. Then the Bible says, For truly I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Is that a threat? Yes. If your righteousness, get this, does not go beyond the Pharisees, you don't get in heaven. So can your righteousness go beyond the Pharisees? No. When they were trying to earn righteousness on their own, they worked harder than any of us here. They worked harder than any. They even tithed off their spices. They would, if they had a, a bag of spice because they were an agricultural, agricultural people, they would find 10% of their salsone, of their goya, and tithe off of it. And yet their righteousness, the Bible says, was filthy rags. So how does our righteousness go beyond the Pharisees? By receiving Christ. Now listen to what he says. I didn't come to destroy the law, but fulfill the law. Some people think 39 books of this Bible are not still in play. They are very much still in play. Other people think that they're too much in play and we need to go back and do it all. It's not in play the same way. The play has been changed. Others think that there was a mean God of the Old Testament, a nice God of the New Testament, same God. As a matter of fact, inspired by the same author, Jesus, via the Holy Spirit. Jesus has always been the Word, and he's always been with the Father. There's only been one mediator between us and, 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 and God, which has been Jesus. Now watch this, though. He says, I don't do away with it. I fulfill it. So I want everybody to get the illustration. Imagine none of us can pass first grade because we're just not good enough. Someone passes for us and takes us to second grade, and on their merit, now we can learn second grade stuff. We don't forget first grade stuff, but based on their merit, their understanding, we can do second grade stuff. That's what the old covenant is to the new covenant. No one could do this, 613 laws. So Jesus came, fulfilled it, passed it, and said, now we're going on to second grade. But we don't say, well, forget about first grade, forget about arithmetic, forget about all that. No, based on that, now we do everything else. But how do we do the everything else? If we couldn't do the stuff that was easier, we do it based on the advantage of Christ being in us. So Jesus is going to start talking like this. You've heard it said back then, don't murder. That was about as good as it could be for us. Don't kill each other. But now in second grade, it's going to be not only don't kill each other, but don't be angry with each other without cause. Now, Jesus, if we could hardly keep ourselves from killing each other, how are we now going to be able to live without being angry or, or bitter towards each other? Here's how it goes. In the Old Testament, the relationship was more external. It was like seeing a police officer by that stop sign. They always try to give you a ticket. And so when you get there, you're like, oh, I better stop now because the police is there. That's the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, now it's driving around with the police officer in your car everywhere. 
See, now God is empowering us in a new way. They used to have to go to the temple to to do all of these religious things and ceremonial things. Now the Bible says we become the temple and it's relational. But watch, watch. Do we now curse the Old Testament? Go, man, that was stupid. They stoned people. That was so stupid. Mean God used to do that. That was so stupid. They had to worry about what they wore and what they touched and all of that. That That was stupid, mean God. No, better be careful. After this series, Lord willing, I'm going to do a series on Psalm 119. David goes through every letter of the Hebrew alphabet and makes poems about how much he loves the law of God. It would be like us going, A is for Adam who fell into sin. Jesus died so we could be born again. B is for bad, and that's what we are. You know, he literally goes every letter of the Hebrew alphabet and makes a poem about the love of God and for the law. So do we look at the law and go, that was stupid. Stoning was stupid. No, no, no. Stoning was righteous. But why don't we stone anymore? Because Christ becomes our our atonement. The woman still deserved to die along with the man she was sleeping with. Yes, that's true. But Christ takes the wrath of God. Should we uh, look back at the, the dietary law and go, that was stupid. They couldn't eat lechon. What was wrong with angry God back then? Didn't he know what bacon was like? My wife's doing the keto diet, putting bacon all up in the house. I'm doing like the less calorie diet, so that stinks because I can't eat bacon. You know, I got to eat turkey bacon. And turkey bacon is not real bacon. Let's just be honest. I came down the other day. My wife was cooking a hamburger with bacon. I'm like, it smells like Culver's in here. I'm eating carrots and, and little portions of things, you know. So we, gotta, we have a battle of the diets right now. But was bad, was mean, angry God just Stupid when it came to pork? No, what was he teaching us? Cleanliness, cleanliness, cleanliness. You look at the pig, it's one of the most filthiest animals. It was a lesson on cleanliness. How does cleanliness now apply in the new covenant? Your heart, your heart, your heart. It's not your stomach, it's your heart. Jesus told us that, didn't he? See, he clarifies those things. Okay. Murder. You have heard it said long ago, you shall not murder anyone. Anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. King James says, angry without cause. Better translation. Why is it better? Because the Bible says Jesus got angry and Jesus called people fools and names. Otherwise, Jesus would be contradicting himself. Because listen, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of of the fire of hell. If Jesus called people fools in the book of Matthew in chapter 23 and it says you go to hell for calling somebody a fool, we need to have an explanation. That's why translations matter. There in the King James, same verse, it says, without cause. So like Mr. T, it's okay to call somebody a fool as long as you pity the what? The fool. You just got to pity them. Jesus called fool. But here's the deal. First grade said don't murder people. Second grade, don't get angry with them. Can we do that without Christ's help? No, but God can help us. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember, your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and come and offer your gift. So can we hold things against each other and expect to come to church and be right with God? No, thankfully this will go a lot faster than the other portions. If you have children in the back, will you please go get them? That helps our children's workers still like me at the end of the day. That keeps me, yes, a children's worker laugh. Some back there, yes, wherever you are, you know I love you. <laughs> Excuse me. Settle matters quickly with ad- your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you pay every last penny. That was a debtor's jail. The Bible says you owe somebody money. You better make it right, because otherwise you can go to jail for your debts. That's not necessarily a bad thing. 
I wish that people would work off their debts. I would teach people responsibility. Don't you agree with that? And how many know we would teach them to be more responsible to the people they owe the debt to as well? Okay, adultery. Just going through these quickly. As I said before, all the messages are online if you need more in depth. You have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. That's first grade. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's second grade. Now let's see how serious Jesus takes this. So I talk to a lot of guys that go, dude, I'm just a guy. I lust after girls. I mean, who can help it? I mean, they're beautiful like flowers. I just look at them. I've heard that before, okay? Here's the deal. I'm new in Christ. My eyes are new. My heart is new. I don't have that excuse anymore, do I? I'm supposed to look at every one of the ladies here as a sister. I don't have permission to violate that. But let's just say you're a Christian and it comes difficult to you right now and you don't want to take this serious. Listen to the next words of Jesus to see how serious he took it. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It would be better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's Jesus talking. So he goes, hey, Bubba, you're not getting away with that excuse here. And then now Jesus goes right to the right hand because he knows what men do after their eyes see it and their right hand sees it and they take lotion into the bathroom. And we're all old enough here to understand that. And if you're not, you don't need to understand it. What does he say? Gouge out your eye and your what? Your right hand. So if I see you coming to church like this, I know what's up. Hey, you're at least going to heaven. You're at least going to heaven, aren't you? Or you come with one eye missing. Hey, okay. And I know some of you are like, well, it's just a metaphor, but some of us need to take it seriously. Cut off stuff. If looking at the internet is not good for you, stop looking at the internet. If Facebook awakens other relationships, cut off uh, Facebook. Cut off whatever causes you to sin because if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. How much more serious could he have said what he's talking about here? Amen. Divorce. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Quickly here. The only biblical reason for divorce, according to Jesus, was adultery. Paul then adds another, which is turning away from Christ, or they try to keep you from Christ, your spouse. People ask me all the time about spousal abuse. Get out, separate, press charges, we'll help you do that. But don't divorce until they commit adultery. Generally, if they'll cheat on you, if they'll beat you, they'll cheat on you, okay? But here's the deal. You can also be reconciled. Divorce is not an unpardonable sin. So everyone who has been divorced for the wrong reasons, you can be forgiven. If you are listening to me and you were divorced for the wrong reasons, try to be reconciled if they're still single. Yes. And we'll help you to do that. We'll get you both together and be like, okay, the divorce is final. We get all of that. But both of you love Jesus? Do both of you want to try to work this out? At one point you were in love. Can we pray for this to happen? I would love to see that happen. And I've heard stories about that happening. But just know this, if you say in your heart, I'm not willing to seek this, be careful because what you harden your heart to, the devil can put a hook in and pull you back into hell. Many times people say, well, that's not that big of a command. I'll just break this one. This one's not that big of a deal. I see other people break it, it's fine. You have no idea how sinister the devil is. He'll take any commands you break as a foothold to drag you back to hell with him. That's the language of the Bible. Take it serious. In those days, they were just throwing out divorces however they wanted, and God said, you weren't supposed to do that. And in another place, he says, he made them male and female in marriage till death do they part for life. Amen. That's what marriage is supposed to be. May God help us all to do that. 
Oh, so again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, first grade again, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. So I promise on this, I swear on this, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's the footstool of God, or by Jerusalem, because it's a city of the king. They were swearing on everything, weren't they? And do not swear by your head. You can't even make one head here white or black. All you need to simply say is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Swearing on the Bible is unneeded. Christians should let their yes be yes and no be no. If you do it, that's okay because you're under the law of a government that requires that. If you can get around that, that's up to you. I see no problem with it in my conscience, but I don't need it. I can say I'll do it, but I don't need to do it. My yes is yes and my no is no. If I lived in a world where I could change it, what would I say? Not do you swear upon the Bible. Just say this. Do you, um, are you going to tell the whole truth? Are you going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes. I think that should be our way of making that commitment. Amen? And if you're having to swear a lot in the sense of, I swear, I swear, your word means nothing. That's what it's saying. People who do that are always the ones you're like, you're shady. I swear I'm a mom's grave. I swear this, I swear that. Dude, the moment you said that, I just stopped trusting you. How many feel that way when you're around those kind of people? The people who are swearing, I swear on this, I swear on that, you're just like, you're the guy I'm not going to trust on this issue. Next. The Bible says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now turn to your neighbor and ask to borrow $100. Children, ask to borrow your parents' keys to the car. You're driving home. Does anyone have a ride that I like? We had a brother have a Tesla, and I think in the first service, or Lexus or whatever. Okay, who's one am I getting today? All of this, real quick, don't lose. I know I'm late, but don't, don't get lost here, okay? All of this has to do with being meek and humble in your everyday life. It does not take away just war. That's Romans 13, carrying the sword for a purpose. If you remember, when did people get slapped in a fight? No, it was before courts. This is all talking about how they were being oppressed in that day. Very similar to the time before the Civil War, before the Civil War, when the African Americans were peaceful resisting. There's a time for peaceful resistance. Same thing with us in the American Revolutionary times. We were peacefully resisting. But the question is, and it's a funny one, but what do you do after they slap the, 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 the one cheek? You get it on. That's what I believe. You give them one cheek, you don't resist. They go for the other cheek, it's on. That's the difference. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because if we don't stand up against evil, evil will be done to innocent people. So if someone felt they could borrow my, I mean, literally, a rapist could come to my house and go, Bible says you're supposed to give me your keys. Give me your keys. I'm going into your daughter's room and raping her. And if you try to come against me, I'm just going to slap you. That will be a cold day in hell before that ever happens. You understand what I'm saying? The rapist can push me one time. The rapist can do something aggressive towards me one time as a citizen. If you're a police or military, it's different. You're already assigned in those positions, Romans 13. But if you as a citizen are being oppressed, you have the right to, uh, you, you're commanded to take it. But after that, you can resist. That's why there was a revolution. That's why there was a civil war. And that's why if you try to hurt the innocent, we're going to stand up to you. But in this, in this context, this was all what Rome could do and all what the Jewish government could do. Jewish government could slap Jesus. Remember, they slapped him. Jesus said, okay, I'll take it. But he didn't keep slapping him until it came to his crucifixion. When it was time for him to die, he allowed himself to die. When it wasn't time, he didn't allow him to touch him. Do you remember the time they tried to push him off a cliff and he walked right through him? He said, you can't touch this. 
Amen. You can't touch this. That's MC Hammer, right? But he, Jesus said it first. You can't touch this. So that happened. And there's times on Judgment Day where he's killing a whole bunch of folks. But this is what Rome would do. They would make you give them their coats, your, their, 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 your clothes. They would make you walk with them and carry their armor. All of these things had to do with borrowing your food, borrowing your land. This is in a context where it's you're oppressed and you're going to take it, but then there may come a time, and he talks about that in other scriptures because I believe it's the full counsel of God where you can defend yourself. I'll let you decide in your conscience what you want to do. We are not pacifists here, okay? So we're not like the uh, Jehovah Witnesses. They're a cult, but they're also pacifists. Christian pacifists are like pres- uh, Quakers and others. All right, let's keep going. We're almost done, guys. Hang in here with me. That way you can go to chapter 6 tomorrow, uh, next week. It says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Here's where we have to pause. Everything else came from the law of first grade, and God has given us second grade. This phrase right here was never found in the law. You were never commanded to hate actual people. Where did this come from? This came from Jewish tradition. They took the concepts like I have there in Psalms and Leviticus where you love your neighbor and hate the evil to mean we're not going to hate you because you are evil. They made that application. And so he's not saying you've heard it in the law. He's saying you've heard it around here, in other words. And he says, no, we're not going to do that. But the Bible says, I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So even when we're in war, we're to pray for them. I mean that. I have a lot of friends that are in the military, police officers. Pray for them. Pray for the wicked to change. If ISIS repented, there would be no war there today in in those places. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Look at this. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Notice God calls them evil. He calls them unrighteous, but he says still love them. Pray for them. It says if you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And let's read it together here at the end. One, two, three. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I love Muslims. I love every person I've talked about here today. And I am praying for them to repent. But notice in the language there, they're still pagans. See, some people like, you can't love them, you just call them a pagan. No, they're a pagan. But I love them. You just called Ellen degen- degenerate, I mean degenerous, evil. And you called her degenerate, trying to be funny, saying her name degenerous. But guess what? I love her. How many love Ellen? How many love Oprah? How many love Hillary Clinton? I'm not saying like you love their art. I'm just saying, do you love them as people? How many love Little Wayne? I'm just trying to throw out names. How many love, how many love Donald Trump? How many love them? But how many know all those people can be evil? All those people can still be unrighteous, and all those people can still be pagan. But we love them. And so that's what I say in closing. Uh, Vinny, as you come, please. That's what I say in closing is, if I love you, can I tell you what is the truth Yes. So I can call you a pagan as I say I love you. So just a quick example. Islam supports the teachings of a man who was demon-possessed. I don't just say that to be like crazy, like, oh, he's demon-possessed. Like, no, Muhammad was demon-possessed. No doubt about it. I could be here all day. I wrote a book on it by God's grace. Demon-possessed. They worship a black stone. That's idolatry in Mecca. Okay? Their practices are evil. Okay, now notice I said all of that. Did I say it angry like I don't love them? No, I love them. But that's the truth. But here's what I pray for them. And many of us have Muslim friends. I have Muslim neighbors. Lord, here's how we pray. Lord, I love them. 
Lord, I pray for them to know and love you. Pray that they repent and come to see you for who you are. Because God, I was just as bankrupt as them spiritually. And I could no more save myself than they could. And no matter all the evil they've done against us as a nation and to our soldiers, it doesn't compare to the evil I've done against you. Because you're an eternal, awesome God that doesn't deserve one sin. So forgive them as you've forgiven us. And Lord, watch this, watch this. Real prayer, but as an example. Lord, I pray for our soldiers and for those who are fighting justly to protect the innocent from Islamic terrorism. In Jesus' name. How about we pray for the homosexual community? Lord, they're evil. They're after our children. I know the, the lesbian girl I hang out with at the gym, I know she doesn't want my child to be a lesbian. But Lord, they've stated in their agenda they want children to be indoctrinated. They're unrighteous. Their actions are evil. It's not love to have sex and be perverse with the same gender or to change your gender. Lord, that's wicked. But God, I love them. I love them, Jesus. I pray for you to forgive them because, Lord, their sexual perversion is no worse than mine because I have sinned against you with the same sex and wicked in evil ways. Pour out your spirit on Ellen. Pour out your spirit on those in this community. Show them the truth. You've sent them your son. You've sent them your reign. Now send them the son of God and the reign of your spirit. In Jesus' name. Let's pray for one more. Let's pray for all the violence, all those violent, wicked people. Father, we know that gangs and crime and criminals, that's wicked. That's evil. It's unrighteous. But we pray for them. We forgive them for carjacking somebody in this church. We forgive them from the times they've stolen from us, from the gangs who have beaten up our children or maybe even killed a family member here. But Lord, we pray for their evil to be repented of. We pray for every gang member, every wicked, violent criminal to see their sin, not just against humanity, but against you. Because you said in Noah's generation that murder is wrong because man is made in your image. So stealing is wrong because image bearers get to keep what they earn. So Lord, we pray for the west side, the south side, for those being abused. We pray for the corruption. In Jesus' name, amen. See, that's what it means to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect because now we can do perfect I know some of you want me to pray for immigration can I pray for immigration I'm not saying I'm Jesus and I'm going to do it perfectly but I'm going to do my best can I do my best to pray for immigration I'm looking at some of my hente right here father we pray for these wicked evil nations that suppress their people so much that they would have to run and hide we pray for those wicked, evil governments. Some of them have their entire police force bought and paid for by the crime and drug syndicates 
They chop up bodies. Lord, you had me watch a video of them dismembering a body so I could understand the, the violence. They've killed two pastors in one of these countries just recently. Lord, we pray that these wicked governments and these evil people would repent so that places like Mexico and Guatemala and Honduras and Costa Rica and Venezuela would be beautiful places again that no one would want to run from them. They would want to stay in them. So we pray against the wicked governments. Lord, we also pray for those who are there that possibly they would have a civil war like we had to or that they would have a revolutionary war like we had to. Instead of all the men running, the men would take up arms, start an underground railroad, begin to fight. Lord, maybe it's time for them to have a just war in Venezuela, a just war in these nations. And now, Lord, if they can't stay and they can't fight and they cross through other nations, I pray, Lord, they find peace. If Mexico's a place for them to be, then let them stop in Mexico. The Mexican government said, we'll take in all refugees. There's no point to even come to an American border. We'll take all of them. Lord, if that's sincere and they can be blessed in Mexico, may all the Central and South Americans enjoy a new life in Mexico. May Mexico be blessed and have a great nation. But even then, Lord, if they desire to come to our border, may we be just, may we be fair, May we treat them the way we would want to be treated. And may they follow the laws and do to us as they would want to be done to this country once they become a citizen. So, Lord, if they wouldn't want people breaking into their homes, may they not break into our borders. So, Lord, if they would want to keep their property, may they not take someone else's property. So just laws for just immigrants. If there's injustice at our border, expose it. If there's injustice in the immigrant's heart, expose it. And may we be a nation that lives up to what's on the Statue of Liberty that says, give us your poor, give us your wounded, give us your downcast, we'll take them all. May we be a nation that loves to bring in all other nations. And then may we as Christians teach the new immigrants that come here lawfully how to Live for Jesus, to follow your ways. As many immigrants here now do, they came to know Christ here, Father. And may we help them to be successful in this nation. In Jesus' name, amen. A little bit longer of a prayer, but was it good? I'm learning to pray for the immigrant issue. Be perfect, be perfect, be perfect. Now do perfect, do perfect, amen. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? We're going to dismiss in just a moment, but maybe you want someone to pray with you. Maybe you want to accept Christ into your heart. All of these altar workers will be up here again. If you want to start discipleship, they'll be here to help you do that. We promise you we'll do that with all of our heart. We love you here. Let's pray and dismiss and then let you go. And if you want to hang back, we'll have some more worship. Can we end with one of the songs we sang? Is that cool? Maybe uh, King of My Heart? Awesome. Father, we thank you today for this great service. We are who, we, who you said we are. We can do what you said we can do. 
If there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, just raise up your hands right now and say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. If you're here today and you already know Jesus, but you've been convicted like I have by this message, because even though you've been made perfect, you haven't always done perfect, just raise up your hands with me and say, Jesus, purify my heart. Teach me your ways. We'll pray this out before we go together. Come on, just pray it out. Just, Lord, teach me your ways. I've been angry, and I shouldn't have been. I've been lustful, and I shouldn't have been. Lord, I, I don't keep my word, and I have to try to convince people to trust me. Lord, I, I'm bitter. I don't know how to be reconciled or to forgive. A few moments right now, pray before we dismiss. On your own, and then you can come up and pray or worship with us or enjoy your day. A few more moments. Church has been a